Apologetics for Beginners. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McLean. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of me. Welcome back to The Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean. This is episode number 42. And today we're going to sit down and interview Jim Burnham, who is the co-author of the Beginning Apologetics Workbooks. Jim Burnham has a wonderful ministry at catholicapologetics.com. And we're going to talk more about that here coming up in a minute. How is your Lent coming? Mine has been pretty rough so far, as I've shared with you in the previous podcast. I really struggled to get through last week. It was a rough week at work. It was a rough week on the podcast, and it was a rough week spiritually. And I'm still feeling the spiritual anxiety of all of that. There's so much that I want to do and accomplish. And, you know, sometimes we have to remember that the least is almost better. The smaller we go, the better we can be. So it's little, it's little spiritual battles that I think are important. It's the little things that we need to focus on. So I'm trying to, to refocus my efforts and attention here during Lent. Well, we've been given a great gift in Breaking the Bread with Dr. Scott Hahn from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, guiding us through the, the readings, the Sunday readings here during Lent on the Catholic Hack podcast. So, without further ado, let's break the bread with Dr. Scott Hahn. This week's Mass is the Hour of Jesus. Are you ready for that hour? In this Sunday's Mass, he promises to pour out his Spirit, and then he fulfills his promise in that hour. Are you and I truly ready for such a gift, especially in this season of Lent? Find out more next on Breaking the Bread. The Israelites' hearts were hardened by their hardships in the desert. Though they saw God's mighty deeds, in their thirst they grumble and put him to the test. It was a crisis point, recorded in our first reading and recalled again in our responsorial psalm. Like Israel, Jesus too is thirsty in today's gospel, but he thirsts for souls. He longs to give the Samaritan woman the living water that wells up to eternal life. Such water couldn't be drawn from the well of Jacob, father of the Israelites and the Samaritans. But Jesus was something much greater than Jacob. The Samaritans were Israelites who escaped exile when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom eight centuries before Jesus. They were despised for intermarrying with non-Israelites and worshiping at Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem. But Jesus tells the woman that the hour of true worship is coming, when all will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not at Gerizim or Jerusalem. Jesus' hour is the appointed time that St. Paul speaks of in this week's epistle. It is the hour when the rock of our salvation was struck on the cross. 
Struck by the soldier's lance, living waters flowed out from our rock. These waters are the Holy Spirit, of course, the gift of God. By the living waters, the ancient enmities of Samaritans versus Jews have been washed away. The dividing wall between Israel and Gentiles is broken down. Since that hour, all may drink of the Spirit in baptism. And in this Eucharist, the Lord is now in our midst as he was at the rock of Horeb and at the well of Jacob. In the today of our liturgy, he calls us to believe, I am he. He has come to pour the love of God into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. How can we continue to worship as if we don't understand? How can our hearts remain hardened? For we are children of the Most High God. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. How wonderful is that to have Dr. Scott Hahn explaining and opening up those Sunday readings for us here during Lent. I am truly grateful for that opportunity to share that reflection with you. It truly does bless my heart to have that opportunity. You know, I also wanted to share with you some ideas for Lent, some things that you could possibly do. What kind of, what kind of sacrifices could you, could you have to offer up for other people? First, I highly recommend that you find someone, a stranger even, a family member, a loved one, someone that you can focus on during Lent to offer up sacrifice and prayers for that person. For me last year, it was a gentleman I met at a, a men's retreat. For this, this year, I'm offering sacrifices for my family. But you find someone to focus on and pray for that person intently and, and, and dur- all during Lent, very focused prayers. And offer up some subtle sacrifices, little things like put a pebble in your shoe and walk all day long on that pebble. Don't tell anybody about it. Just do it. And offer up the sacrifice of, of the uncomfortableness, the pain even, in your, in your foot. Skip a meal. Sleep on the floor. Try sleeping on the floor one night a week. I did that last year. It was a very powerful uh, spiritual experience during Lent, so I highly recommend that to you as well. So there's little things that you can do to, uh, to offer up sacrifices so that others might know grace and have grace. Well... Let's get into the interview this week. We've got a lot to share with you, and Jim Burnham is truly fantastic. Jim's going to share with us his family, his walk with Christ, and his mission, his ministry, to give us scriptural foundations for our beloved church. So without further ado, let's roll up our sleeves, let's dive deep, and let's get into the truth with Jim Burnham. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Can't handle the truth. This school, when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some more. Hey, we've got a problem here. Roger that. of the throne. Something happens to my wounded heart from all the love revealed and shown. Bright light, Shakina comes to my aid to persist. The change and sustain the way I think 
didn't exist to fill the place because my name is in the book of life's list. That's what happens when you sit in the school of the Eucharist. Mr. Hammett, take her down. Make your depth 150 feet, 10 degree down bubble. 150 feet, 10 degree down bubble. Aye, sir. Dive, dive, dive. Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and today we're speaking with Jim Burnham, a very special guest here on the Catholic Hack. Jim is a cradle Catholic, the second oldest in a family of 10 children in college. Questions from evangelical classmates forced him to rediscover the biblical and historical basis for his Catholic faith. Jim co-authored the hugely popular series of beginning apologetics booklets, clear, simple handbooks showing ordinary Catholics how to effectively explain and defend their faith. Jim has given apologetic seminars all over the world. He has appeared on EWTN's Carpenter Shop and is a regular radio guest on Catholic Answers Live. He is the co-author of Christian Fatherhood along with Steve Wood. Jim and his wife Lisa have been married for 15 years and have six children. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Joe, thank you for having me on your program. The pleasure is all mine, trust me. I have heard you on Catholic Answers many, many times. I'm a big fan. I've always enjoyed listening to you when you've been the guest host, and, and I've, I really appreciate how knowledgeable you are and how well-rounded your answers have been, and that's been an inspiration to me to dive deeper into my faith and to study harder and to have those reasons and, and be prepared to give that reason when we're called upon. So thank you very much for all the work that you've done. Can well, you, you? Let's just get Go started. Ahead, let's talk about how, where you came from. Let's talk about your family life, your background. You come from a very large Catholic family. That, to me, is very inspiring. I, I come from a very small family that was Protestant, so, uh, you know, it was, it was a shock to see so many Catholic families being so large and beautiful in my conversion. So I'd love to hear your, your story about growing up in a, in a large, beautiful Catholic family. Well, my family was a, one of the great blessings of my life and continues to be. Um, my father passed away a few years ago, but my mother's still alive, and, and uh, all, of my, all nine of my brothers and sisters are still alive. And this is the real credit to, to my parents. My parents... Uh, they really lived their faith. Um, they, you know, they, they took it seriously. They did their very, very best to, to live the faith and to share the faith, uh, both by word and example. And uh, you know, God, God, uh, God, uh, you know, continued to protect us. But so far, of all ten of our, you know, kids, uh, all of us who are who have gotten married have married Catholics. Uh, all of us are raising our children Catholic. Wow. Uh, you know, none of us have left the faith. Uh, you know. That's a real remarkable testimony to my parents that that they went ten for ten uh, <laughs> with their kids in in passing on their precious Catholic faith to us. Praise God! That and is I know I know amazing. so many parents. You know they they don't. You know I mean this that's a that's a great statistic and very you know a lot of parents don't have that and I think it's a real challenge today to continue to pass on the baton of faith. That's how I look at it. For two thousand years, the baton of 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 of, of the faith passed down from from Christ to the apostles and from the apostles from generation to generation down to the present day that's been passed on intact family to family to family to family and now it's in my hand and I gotta try to pass it on intact to my children so mm. they can give it to their children and and it can continue till the until Christ comes again and it's so easy sometimes to to slip to drop the baton to just put it in your back pocket or you know get back to it later and I I really credit my parents you know, for a vibrant, 
uh, lively faith that, that they were able to effectively and infectiously pass on to us. Wow. Now, that is that is pretty amazing. Now, you guys were perfect kids, obviously. I mean, you're parent- No, absolutely perfect. We never disobeyed. <laughs> That's right. We never got in trouble. Uh, my dad, actually, he uh, went through a period where, you know, he would uh, he, bu- he built a paddle. I guess he got tired of spanking <laughs> us with his hands. And he- so he built a really nice wooden paddle, and he decided to put names on it every time someone got spanked. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not making this up. It's going to sound like I'm, I'm making this up. But this is this is how the names read on that paddle. It read something like this: Jim, that's me. Mike, Ann, Jim, Julie, Jim, Dan, Jim, Ben, Jim, Jim, Mike, Jim, Jim, Mike, Joe, Ben, Caroline, Jim, 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 Jim. I literally owned that paddle. I had more uh, uh, real estate on that paddle than all my siblings combined. Because I was headstrong and I was willful, and uh, I often had a bad attitude, and all of those things were punishable in my family with a, a good, uh, swift spanking. Wow. You know, I, when I became a Catholic and I went through the conversion process, we, uh, we, we met a strong, big Catholic family up in our parish up in New Hampshire where we were living. And I remember having a conversation one day, because my oldest son is adopted, and and he has a lot of challenges, a lot of emotional challenges. And I remember one day my wife and I were in the parish hall after a Sunday Mass, and we were frustrated and talking to the wife of this big, beautiful Catholic family. And I, I said to her, but you don't understand what we're going through. <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, oh, I'm pretty sure I've got a good idea. <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. I realized, oh, what am I talking about? Of course she does, you know. But I tell you what, that family really, those the kids in that family really, really inspired me. They fired me up. I went on a youth retreat, a Steubenville East youth retreat with them, and where I was the sponsor and they were attending. And they were just so inspirational. These kids, I mean, they were typical teenagers, but you know what? They were on fire. They They just were very well grounded. They weren't. They weren't influenced by peer pressure, even though they attended public schools. They were in football and everything else. I mean, it was just really inspiring to me. So I, I really appreciate large Catholic families, and, and that's why. Well, I've got to tell you, I, mean, I know a lot of people, they, they're concerned about giving their children, you know, the best uh, presence and the best, uh, you know, that the world has to offer. And, and, and without a doubt, without any hesitation, the best gift my parents gave me were nine brothers and sisters. I mean, there was always somebody to fight with and always somebody to, you know, uh, get into trouble with and, and to uh, be best friends with. And even to this day, my, my best, my closest friends are, uh, are my siblings. And it's, that's such a treasure to give to your children. Uh, if you can, I really would recommend it. I mean, the best possible gift you can give your children is an intact marriage and lots of, of wonderful siblings. It's just there's nothing that can substitute for that. No, no vacation, no gift, no... No four-wheeler, no motorcycle, no nothing right. uh, gives you that kind of uh, profound satisfaction and happiness as, as having you know uh, brothers and sisters. Wow. All right, so let's talk about when you went off to college. And, and in your bio, we talk about that's where you, you had a, a change in your faith walk. But let's talk about what led up to that. Did you become agnostic, falling away? I mean, how would you describe no, I yourself? Mean, I, unfortunately, I, I love a great conversion story, and I know... Uh, in some of your previous podcasts, you have marvelous conversion <laughs> stories, and I wish I had one. Here's, here's my story, Joe. I was born a Catholic. I was raised a Catholic. I'm still a Catholic. 
and by the grace of God, I hope to die a Catholic. That's, that's my story. Now, it's come really, on, somewhere in there is the Baptist Church or something, I'm yeah, sure of yeah, it. Yeah, no, I never went off the deep end. I mean, there were times that I, I, I became less, um, you know, less, uh, uh, what is the word, uh, you know, strenuous in the practice of my faith. There were times that I coasted and, and uh, kind of just went through the motions, but I, I never, I never, you know, I, I always went to Sunday Mass. I stayed close to the sacraments. Um, sometimes I should have been even closer to the sacraments, especially the sacrament of confession. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, you know, I never, I never abandoned my faith. I never had, you know, the prodigal son's uh, wayward experience. But I, I, you know, I went through twelve years of CCD. I, I even paid attention, you know, for the most part. <laughs> Um, Nobody and I knew that, my faith. <laughs> I knew what, I knew what I believed as a Catholic. My parents were very, uh, very good uh, teachers of the faith. My dad, every time uh, he would drive us to mass, and for several years he would take us to daily mass. One oh. of the you know real things I credit him for. He, he, you know, he did a lot of things right. He didn't. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't. You know, he'd be the first one to say, "Don't canonize him." But uh, yeah, he took us to daily mass when, whenever possible, and, and for many years that was every single day. He led the daily uh, family rosary. Uh, you know, big, strong, strapping, you know, John Wayne kind of guy, get down on his knees, grab a rosary, and lead his family in prayer. It was very powerful. Wow. So I, I, I knew a lot about what I believed as a Catholic. I knew the Ten Commandments, mostly. You know, I knew the, the Articles of the Apostles' Creed. I, I knew what the Trinity was, the Incarnation. And, uh, but when I went to college, that's when it became abundantly clear that while I knew what I believed as a Catholic, I had almost no ability to articulate why I believed it. Mm. And, and what and why are very different questions, as right. you know. Uh, being able to recite, you know, the Apostles' Creed is very different from being able to show why, say, you know, a Baptist should come to believe that Mary, you know, is the mother of God, and that, right. that you know, he should accept her, her as, as, as the spiritual mother of all Christians, or something like that. Mm. Or, you know, someone comes to you and says, why do you believe in purgatory? So that's, I showed up at college, bright-eyed, you know, and eager to learn things, and I went to uh, Hillsdale College in, in southern Michigan, a wonderful liberal arts college, but it has a lot, a lot of evangelical Christians, very godly, uh, very zealous uh, young men and women. And uh, they invited, uh, like they did all the freshmen, they invited us to all kinds of mixers. And, you know, there were things like uh, Campus Crusade was there and, and uh, oh, some other, some other groups. And, and they would invite us to these mixers and play some songs and, and, uh, you know, wanting to network and, and meet the pretty girls, I would go to these things and, <laughs> and uh, sing the songs. And, and, uh, but something really odd would happen towards the end. They'd begin to start forming little circles, and people would begin to share their stories, their faith stories. And uh, every time I would mention that I was Catholic, something very odd would happen. They'd, they'd kind of queue up around me <laughs> and uh, form a little semicircle, and, and I'd begin, they'd begin to treat me like uh, a human piñata. <laughs> not everyone knows what a piñata is, right? But it's... It's uh, this paper mache object that that's used often down here in the Southwest. They fill it full of candy, and kids take turn whacking it with a stick until it pops open. Right. And that's how I felt. I felt like a human pinata as my evangelical uh, classmates began to pepper me with questions about the faith. Why do you Catholics call your priest father? Don't you know Matthew twenty three seven says, "Call no man on earth your father." Aren't you being unbiblical? Mm. Um, you know, I would get questions about Mary and the Pope and purgatory and uh, justification. And I mean, I remember standing there like Bambi in, in, in headlights, just, just, you know, dumbfounded and, and overwhelmed and, and not having any clear idea even where to begin how to answer these questions. 
mm-hmm. and they seem so knowledgeable about their scriptures. They seem so right. uh, you know, zealous yeah. for the Lord. Uh, they seem to know the Bible backwards and forwards, and they were quoting me chapter and verse. And, and I'm just standing there stuttering, you know, giving incoherent answers like, well, um, you know, I think it says somewhere, you know, in that one passage, well, you know, Jesus says that thing, you know, about that, about that other thing, you know, so I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, you know, but I, and this was, this was key. I mean, I really went through a period of, of great, uh, uh um, questioning, you know, where mm. they were questioning me and I began to question myself. I began to wonder, right. is this faith that I've grown up in 12 years of CCD, you know, 18 years of formation with my wonderful parents, is this faith real? Mm. Is it defendable? Is it, is it, uh, you know, is it credible? Yeah. I mean, I, I've accepted it as a child, but, you right. know, does it have any substance? Can it, can it defend itself? And I recalled something my dad said, and I, I, I'm forever grateful for my father for this, because before I left for college, he took me aside, and he, and he gave me a couple pieces of advice. He said, just remember these, next, these two things, Jim, and they will, they will serve you in good stead when you go off to school. He said, the first thing to remember is that the Catholic Church is Christ's church. Wow. The Catholic Church is Christ's church. And he said, you can demonstrate that in three ways. He said, only the Catholic Church has been around for 2,000 uninterrupted years. So it has 2,000 years of historical continuity. It's existed in every day, week, month, year, and century from now all the way back to the time of Christ. So it's got historical continuity. In addition to historical continuity, it's got, got doctrinal continuity. Mm. It's not only has been around for 2,000 uninterrupted years, but it's been teaching the same doctrines for those same 2,000 years. Uh, distinctively Catholic doctrines like the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and the importance of apostolic succession and the primacy of the Bishop of Rome, uh, power of intercessory prayer, mm. uh, the existence of purgatory, these sorts of things. Wow. And the third thing he said, the third reason you know that the Catholic Church is Christ's Church, is that it has apostolic succession, continuity of apostolic succession. So it's been around 2,000 years, teaching the same doctrines for 2,000 years, and being led by valid successors of the apostles for 2,000 years in the person of the bishops. Every bishop can trace his ordination back to one of the apostles. That was the first thing he said. So the Catholic Church is Christ's church because of these three uh, marks, these three characteristics that, that it alone has. And then the second thing he said, because of this, because the Catholic Church is Christ's church and has these three credentials, it can explain itself. The Church of Christ can always explain itself. It can defend itself. It, 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 it will always prove to be what, what it is, namely the Church of Christ. So don't worry if there are questions or challenges or objections that you don't have the answers to. Rest assured there are answers. Mm-hmm. The Church, uh, like, like, like truth itself, can always explain and defend itself. And so I took those words to heart when I got these questions, and I began to look this stuff up, I dusted off my Bible, I <laughs> discovered the early church fathers, I began to delve into history, and I began to realize that this faith that I'd grown up in, and, and many times had just taken for granted, was indeed the 2,000-year-old the faith of, of Jesus Christ, and it had answers. And, and so anytime, every time I find an answer you know, to, for my friends, I'd say, oh, well, here, look, here's Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, calling himself a spiritual father to the Corinthians because of his ministry to them through the gospel. 
Well, that explains why we Catholics call our priests father, because they act as a spiritual minister, just like St. Paul did. Right. So I'd, I'd, I'd find an answer. I'd run back to my evangelical classmates, mm-hmm. many of whom I got to know very, very well uh, over a period of four years, and we'd have late-night discussions and uh, you know, very, very uh, powerful and, and, and profound dialogues together. So I'd, I'd, they'd give me a host of questions, and I'd rush out, and I'd study up, and I'd come back and answer them, and they'd give me a whole other host of questions, <laughs> and I'd study up on those and come back to them with the answers. And the more I studied and the more answers I discovered, the more excited I became, yeah. because I began to realize this faith that I'd taken for granted was indeed, it was, it was, it was the true blue, 24-karat gold, unmistakable Church of Jesus Christ, and it had answers. Mm-hmm. Over its 2,000-year glorious history, the Church had answered all of these questions many, many times. And, uh, and, and our faith was, was firmly grounded in Scripture and firmly grounded in history, and I, I didn't have to worry. The Church had answers for, for what it did, why it did the things it did, why it believed what it believed, why it celebrated the sacraments that it celebrated, and so on. And, and, and so, I mean, it was one of those cases where you know, I mean, I'd been, I'd been baptized and I'd been confirmed, but I think the, 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 uh, the outpouring of grace of my confirmation, you know, it was waiting to be unlocked. And what unlocked it for me was a little bit of knowledge. Mm. As I began to grow in knowledge of my faith, I began to grow in love with my faith. And yeah. I began to have this kind of irrepressible zeal to want to not just live it, and, <laughs> but, but, but share it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, invite other people to recognize, I guess, what I had always possessed but hadn't always appreciated, that you know, I was part of the Church of Christ, and I, I had all these things at my disposal, the sacraments and the, you know, the fullness of the faith and the fullness of the means of salvation. And, you know, and, and God bless my, my Protestant brothers and sisters. They had many, many great things, a love of Jesus, a love for the Scriptures, but they didn't have all of the things that I had as a Catholic. They had a portion of the truth, but I had the fullness of the truth. Yeah, they had a they had a you know a, a great deal of grace, but they they you know they didn't have the fullness of the grace that I had as a Catholic, and so it just it just set me on fire to both not only learn more but to begin to look for opportunities to share what I what I was learning. You know, I had two very similar situations. Um, one was when I was discovering the beauty of the Catholic faith, I got excited, and I immediately wanted to share my excitement, and so I called my father and. Unfortunately, he, you know, wasn't very receptive to that because he's still Protestant. Sure. And um, so we went through a very tr- troubling time period between he and I where we were battling back, in, back and forth on doctrine and, and, and the Bible and history and everything else. And as I was going through it, I realized that, that it was really a blessing to me because even though I was having a debate with my own father— I was having to study and learn and dive deep for myself and and so I was just getting more and more you know good spiritual food out of this even though Absolutely. even though I couldn't see the effects on my father I didn't see that my father was was buying the argument so to speak you know but at, but the result of it was I became that much more Catholic through the whole process because as he questioned every single thing, right. I went with such fervor to look up every single thing, and then it really put me on fire. The other incident was also in college for me, and uh, a, a gentleman, an atheist, you know, questioned me on you know creation versus evolution, and I like you, I felt like a deer caught in the headlights. I was totally unprepared for the conversation. I felt 
naive and I felt uh, just, you know, really pretty like I was a failure almost. I was really, I really walked away sort of depressed. But then I sort of got uh, almost angry about it. And then I said, I'll never be caught like that again. And then I, I studied for, I don't know, I can't even, three months probably. I was reading every article I could find. I was reading books on, on evolution and science and and so that the very next time I had that conversation, I was far more prepared, you know. So, and that's sort of I see I can I can relate to your experience in college there quite a bit. It's it's so similar to what I have gone through. So I can really appreciate that. But, well, and I think the people I think you have to go through that. I think that yeah. that as you mentioned, I mean, don't get frustrated when someone asks you questions about your faith that you don't know. Look at that as an opportunity for you to grow in knowledge for yourself, and then maybe to plant a seed like Johnny Appleseed in the mind mm. of, of a, a serious inquirer. Right. And it, it's good for both of you. And like you say, you may never see the results of those answers and the results of your research and your, and your explanations. Um, but, you know, at the very, very least, it has it's strengthened you and your faith. And you have rediscovered something that, you know, that helped anchor you more deeply in your faith. Right, absolutely. And ultimately, truth is truth. And, and anybody who seeks out truth is going to find it. It's that active effort on our part to seek it out that god leads us to it ultimately and and that's why it's a beautiful thing about being catholic and although i'm sure that the say the generation that's just older than us would probably maybe not agree with me but the, the beautiful thing about being catholic is you should never be afraid to ask why you know absolutely yeah our faith is not a leap into the dark right you know our faith is not a blind faith exactly uh, our faith is 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 grounded in reason and it perfects reason and even though it is ultimately beyond reason it is not unreasonable and so we should never fear like there's that wonderful encyclical that uh, the holy father pope john paul ii wrote a few years ago faith and reason they're like two wings of Mm-hmm. of a bird that, that, that lift you know, the human mind up into the, the realms of truth. Faith and reason are not opposed. They are, they are complements. And so our faith should be reasonable. And those people who are reasonable and study the evidence should be led to make that leap of faith. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that really is a gift, in my opinion, um, to encourage my children to, to always a- ask the questions, never be afraid to, to study, never be afraid to question, but to be honest in, in the approach, and, uh, and they'll always get to the truth. So talk to me about when you left college, what did you do from there? Did you, did you know, did you feel the calling to apologetics to become a speaker, an author, and all of this? Well, I, I felt this great desire to share what I had learned, hmm. to, to, uh, to help people through that crucible that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that I had gone through. I knew a lot of people were in my situation. I had a lot of Catholic classmates who went through the very same experience I did. They, they grew up Catholic, they went to college, and they were, they were, sh- they were challenged down to their toenails uh, you know, uh, about their faith. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not all of them you know, had my dad's kind of you know, words of, of, of warning and caution and, and confidence that the Catholic Church could always you know, explain and defend itself. Right. I saw several of my cl- you know, Catholic classmates uh, get derailed. You know, mm. some of them uh, became evangelical. Some of them just kind of checked out. They kind of sat on the sidelines, um, you know, because they, they they were getting these questions and 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 they didn't have answers and they weren't even sure there were answers. Uh, and and I, I thought, you know what, I would I would spare, uh, you know, upcoming 
college freshman, that frustration and that, that doubt that I had experienced. And I said, I, I want to I spend whatever time and energy God will allow me to have sharing these discoveries with people. And, 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 and there's two obvious groups that need to hear this. Uh, one obvious group, of course, is, is, is non-Catholics, non-Catholics who do not know that the Catholic Church is Christ's Church, who do not know the, the, the fullness of the truth and the beauty and the sacraments and the grace that, that Christ has, has given to his church. They, they, they love and respect the scriptures as a great gift from God, as they should, as, as we should. But sometimes they neglect one of the other great uh, gifts of Jesus Christ, and that is his living church. Mm. And, and so that's one group that needed to hear this, this, this you know, the good news that, uh, that Jesus Christ was alive and well and had survived for 2,000 years and was still today seeking to draw all men into its universal embrace. But the second group of people I thought that really needed to hear this were people who were just like me, <laughs> who were cradle Catholics, who knew what but not why. Mm-hmm. And I thought this group especially needs to hear this. I want to prepare people, if I can, so that they are not blown out of the water when they encounter this kind of experience. And it can happen at college, it can happen in the workforce, right. it can happen over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to happen. And as you mentioned, if it doesn't happen with your, your, your classmates or your workmates, uh, it's going to happen with your children. Right. You know, I mean, as I begin to have children, I begin to notice that they, perceptive little critters that they are, <laughs> begin to ask very tough questions about the faith. I remember when my, I don't know how old my oldest son was, he had to just be... I don't know, five or six or something, and we're talking about Adam and Eve and and brother, you know, you know, brothers and sisters, and 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 he asked a very perceptive question about, you know, uh, who did Adam and Eve's children marry? If Adam and Eve were the first <laughs> parents, you know, and, and and they had you know a whole bunch of sons and daughters, well, who did these guys marry? And you know, because they knew that marriage was, was you couldn't marry your sister. <laughs> So I mean, I was like, "Holy smokes!" I was scrambling around trying to find an answer to this, right? I mean, and I was like, and I really, I recognized, you know what? Uh, this isn't just for you know the experts. Right. Uh, apologetics is is not just for you know nuns and priests and 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 missionaries to far off lands. Apologetics is part and parcel of what all of us have to do because we have to make sense of our faith and we have to be able to provide answers right. to questions about our faith, whether they come from our kids. Or our classmates, or, or, or our workmates, or you know, in, anywhere else. And the, the questions are going to come. The only question, as you said, is: Are we going to, you know, uh, take the truth seriously enough to learn it and then, you know, be able to share it? You know, so that's what I decided. I decided I've got to get out there and 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 make this message better known. I mm. mean, I, I had a great formation, but I had missed apologetics. I had missed the art right. of explaining and defending the faith, putting the why behind the what. Mm. And um, so I began to read, I began to, you know, I just was, I was open, and I came home from college, and I found a newly ordained priest, Father Frank Chacon, and uh, he was excited about apologetics. He was good friends, I found out later, with people like Father Carapi. Oh, wow. I, I think he went to seminary with Father Carapi. So how could you not be, right. you know, <laughs> infected by a guy like that? Right. Uh, and and, and here's a, so here's a newly ordained priest, good friends with Father Carapi, uh, very, very knowledgeable about the faith. And, and, and this priest started talking about apologetics and giving reasons for your faith and, and answers for questions and being able to, to uh, you know, talk to door-to-door missionaries and begin to evangelize the door-to-door evangelizers. And I was like, holy smokes, you know, this guy's been reading my mail. <laughs> so I became friends with Father Frank Chacon, and uh, he invited me to help him give a series of lectures on apologetics, basic apologetics, uh, 
And those, the notes from that series of lectures became our first booklet on apologetics, Beginning Apologetics. Wow. And from there, we, we launched into the whole Beginning Apologetics series uh, over the next uh, 10 years or so, and the, here we are today. The, and those things are everywhere. I mean, I, I've run into them almost every place I've been to. I was just at my... My good friend's house here recording another podcast with a, another apologist. You probably haven't heard of him. His name is Tim Staples. No, oh, yeah. I don't know that guy at yeah, all. Nobody knows no, that he's guy. A, he's and, a no-name. Right. And then I, I was walking through his house because he was, he was letting me record the, the podcast during my lunch hour. And, and he has he has free Wi-Fi, so it worked out great. But there there on his book on his uh, bureau next to his bed was his beginning apologetics workbook. I mean, I just run into them in like in odd places all over the place, you know. So I mean, that's that's a testament to to how great of a resource it is because it's so uh, it's so widely spread. It's so easy to digest that uh, it really is a great tool and and something that everybody should pick up. I was going to make the point earlier. When talking about why everybody should be interested in apologetics, you know, up until this week, I worked in a secular job. Well, <laughs> I was always being faced with questions. I mean, Absolutely. I was the one religious guy in the company. So, you know, whenever, when, anytime someone, you know, wanted to argue about contraception or whatever, they'd come and ask the Catholic. And, and if you're not prepared for that, well, you're going to feel like the person caught in the headlights, you know. But if you have a basic answer, you know, you'd be surprised what that might do. You know, people have never heard someone give a good answer nine times out of ten. And you could really shake someone's world and make them think, make them really consider, you know, by just having a basic, right. and, basic answer. And we're all called. We're called, to, we're called to be part of the universal evangelization. When Jesus said, go out into the whole world and proclaim the gospel... You know, to the whole world, he wasn't just talking to missionaries and RCIA teachers and priests and bishops. He was talking about every single Christian who took their faith seriously. And, and that means you and me. And as you mentioned, you know, you may be the one Catholic that, this, that these people know. You may be the one point of contact right. to the Catholic Church. And if they come to you, the one Catholic that they know, and they ask a question about Mary or the Pope or, or, or purgatory, mm. or intercessory prayer to the saints, and, and you can answer that question, right. all of a sudden they're going to start, going, well, okay, and they, might, they may have a second question or a third question. All of a sudden you become a, a, an invaluable, precious resource uh, as they begin to slowly wake, make their way to the truth. Mm. You become a beacon of light in a world that is desperate for light, desperate for truth, desperate for meaning, well, you know, and... and but uh, the, 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 the contrary is also true. If they come to the one Catholic that they know in their life, and they come in, you know, and, and this person has no answers, and no energy, and no enthusiasm, and right. no nothing, well, they're going to you know, keep searching elsewhere. They're going to check you know, Catholicism off their list and say, right. well, apparently the truth does not reside there. Right. You know, I talked to a Catholic, and this guy, he knew nothing, and, and he's, you know, his, his life wasn't uh, a, a shining beacon of, of, of virtue, and you know, he, he had no answers for any of the questions. I mean, imagine, I, I try to break it down into sales, you know. Imagine if you're a door-to-door salesman, you know, you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to be part of the evangelization, you're trying to proclaim the gospel, and, and you go and you try to sell a, a vacuum cleaner, and you go to some guy and you go, I've got this really awesome vacuum cleaner. And the guy says, well, I already have a vacuum cleaner. Well, this is even better. Well, okay, I'm, I'm game. Tell me about your vacuum cleaner. Why is it better than the vacuum cleaner I've got at home? Well, I don't know. Well, what features does your vacuum cleaner have? 
Well, I don't really know. Well, how does how does it perform? I don't really know. Well, how's it made? I don't really know. Well, how many vacuum cleaners would you sell as a right. vacuum cleaner salesman if you had no knowledge of your product? Right. If, if you had no ability to point out its features and, 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 and how awesome it performed and how well it was made and, and why it was better in every respect than the vacuum cleaner that was already in their closet. Absolutely. And, and you know, the other thing, too, is not, I'm guilty of this myself, but it, in hindsight, I look back and I go, why is it it never dawned on me to study my own faith? You know, why is it I would just uh, attribute myself to something, uh, be it the church or a cause or something, but never really know it or understand it or, or understand what it teaches or believes? It's not very logical to have that position. I mean, it's one thing to have blind, not really blind faith, but, but faith, just, just basic faith. You know, but it's quite another that most people walk. They they're they're Catholics. They they attend the the mass and all of that. But they honestly just they don't ever say, well, I should understand what it is I'm doing. And I was guilty of that myself. And when I went through this conversion process and I dived into my faith, it became so beautiful that I couldn't get enough of it. And I still can't. I can't wait to learn what I learn tomorrow. No, that's exactly right. St. Paul said it, I think, beautifully. He said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, and I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's something beautiful about a childlike faith, the trust and the right. complete acceptance of what your parents say is true, of what your priest says is true. There's something beautiful and, and inspiring uh, about that. But as St. Paul said, you know, the things that are appropriate for children are not necessarily appropriate for adults. And at some point in our lives, we have to take an adult possession of our faith. We have to, we have to go from you know, complete trust and acceptance on the word of our parents or on the word of the priest, and we have to truly investigate it and to see if it is so. When I was in college and I was going through my own you know, kind of rediscovery of my faith, and I, and I guess it was a conversion of sorts. I, I went from being kind of apathetic and on, on the sidelines to, to really being on fire for the faith. Um, when I was going through that, I, I asked myself, I said, you know, do I have enough love for the truth that I would be willing to find it no matter where mm. it, it, it was located? I mean, do I have enough love for Christ and, and, and love for the truth that if I discovered that, that Mormonism right. were true, right. that I would leave my Catholic faith and become a Mormon? I said, <laughs> yeah, I would. Because that's, and that's when I began to say, well, how do I know that the Catholic faith is true and the, and the Mormon faith is not? How do I know? Have I... Have right. I have I really investigated it? And so that's when I began to just kind of pull out all the stops mm. and, and saying, okay, what is the evidence? You know, uh, and, and then I began to look at even wider world religions. I mean, how is Christianity superior to, say, right. Buddhism or Confucianism or Hinduism? Right. Uh, what, you know, what, 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 are the, what are the Christian claims that bid me to remain with Christ rather than Mohammed? Mm. And so, I mean, I, I really, it was, a fa it was fantastic for me. I mean, it was... It was I, I explored all these other world religions, but uh, I, I did begin with what I with what I was brought up in, and I think that's a good place to begin. Begin with what you know. Well, there you go, Jim Burnham. That's part one. Part two is coming up next. I'm trying to get caught up. I have so much recorded material in the can. 
that uh, I am way behind on podcast. I still have Greg and Jennifer Willits to share with you the second half of this interview. I have two hours with Tarek Saab talking about his book, Gut Check, to share with you. I have an interview with Deborah Burke on her book that I still have to share with you. So I still have a lot of material to come your way. I still want to do a uh, Bible study podcast based on the salvationhistory.com material. I still want to do a rosary uh, series with you. So there is a ton of stuff that we still have yet to get to. So please stick around. Check that out. Well, your support is greatly appreciated on this podcast. Many of you have left me a review on iTunes. That has just done a phenomenal job. I'm on now on page two, about halfway, almost halfway up page two, on the featured list of podcasts for Christian Podcasts. That is phenomenal. That blows me away. I can't tell you. So leave me a review today on iTunes. Stop by the blog, www.catholichack.com. Leave a post, a comment there. Send me an email. Check me out on Facebook. You can catch me on Twitter. Join the Facebook group. Pick up a Catholic Hack t-shirt or mug. And please, please send me a picture of you wearing it. I would greatly appreciate that. I also want you to stop by the Catholic Hack bookstore and pick up some great Catholic materials like the beginning apologetic series from Jim Burnham. You can get there at www.catholiccompany.com forward slash Catholic Hack. Well, until next time, I'm praying for you, and I hope that you're praying for me. And I pray that God richly bless you. God bless. SQPN, the best in Catholic podcasting.